Today's podcast features an article from Discern Magazine. In Matthew 16, verse 16, Jesus posed a question to his disciples. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Peter spoke up first, eventually giving the right answer. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was absolutely correct. But instead of just complimenting Peter for speaking correctly, Jesus made a statement about rocks. In verse 18, he said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Peter, Christ, rocks, church, gates of Hades. Christ packed a lot into this short statement. But what exactly was he talking about? Let's first look at how the Roman Catholic Church interprets this statement. The Roman Catholic Church essentially believes that Christ was saying this, And I also say to you that you are Peter, you are the rock, and on you, Peter, I will build my one holy Catholic Church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This interpretation forms the basis of the doctrine of the primacy of Peter, the idea that Christ founded the church on Peter. He was the foundation, and he was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, verse 19, supreme authority to establish doctrine and govern the church. This theology leads to the connected doctrine of papal succession. The Catholic Church believes Peter moved to Rome and led the church from Rome for about 25 years until his death in around A.D. 67. They believe Peter started a succession of popes that continues unbroken to this day, from Pope Linus to the current Pope, Pope Francis, and that all these popes carried the same authority that Christ supposedly gave to Peter in Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19. Believing the popes are the rock on which Christ built his church and are the possessors of the keys, the Catholic Church has claimed the authority to declare doctrine, even changing or adding to biblical doctrines. Catholics maintain that when a pope speaks ex cathedra, which is Latin for from the chair, he is exercising this power in its fullness. Here is how a book by a Catholic leader, John A. O'Brien, in the book The Faith of Millions, describes this doctrine. He describes ex cathedra as, quote, when the Pope in his official capacity, with the fullness of his authority as successor of St. Peter and head of the church on earth, proclaims a doctrine of faith or morals binding on the whole church, he is preserved from error. End of quote. In fact, one of the Pope's primary titles is Vicar of Christ, which implies his supreme and universal primacy, both of honor and jurisdiction, over the Church of Christ. That's from the Catholic Encyclopedia. The idea is that the Pope stands in place of Christ as his representative on earth, endowed with Christ's own authority, which was originally again given to Peter. The Catholic Church has used this authority to change or proclaim many doctrines that are not taught in the Bible. Here's three examples. In the year 190, Pope Victor I declared that all Christians should abandon the biblical Passover and instead observe Easter to represent Jesus' resurrection. The Council of Nicaea later confirmed this and made it binding on the entire church in the year 325. A second example. On December 8, 1854, Pope Pius IX declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, 
which proclaimed that the Virgin Mary was preserved free from all stain of original sin and throughout her life was entirely perfect, beautiful, most dear to God, and never stained with the least blemish. And the third and last example, on November 1st, 1950, Pope Pius XII announced the doctrine of the Assumption of Mary, declaring that the Virgin Mary's body never died and saw corruption, but was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. Now, if you are a normal Protestant Christian listening to this podcast, you may disagree with some of these Catholic proclamations. But don't be too quick to disconnect your own faith from this topic. The fact is that Protestantism retained and still believes and practices many doctrines established by the Roman Church using the authority they claim to derive from Matthew 16 verses 18 through 19. Let's look at one example. Does your church hold services on Sunday, believing that it is the Lord's Day? Did you know that Rome was responsible for changing the biblical day of worship from the seventh-day Sabbath to Sunday? The Catholic Church admits it used its authority to make the change. Furthermore, Catholics have logically claimed that Protestants who observe Sunday do so only by recognizing the universal authority of the Church of Rome. A Catholic cardinal, James Cardinal Gibbons, wrote this in his book, Faith of Our Fathers. Quote, Now the scriptures alone do not contain all the truths which a Christian is bound to believe nor do they explicitly enjoin all the duties which he is obliged to practice. Not to mention other examples, is not every Christian obliged to sanctify Sunday and to abstain on that day from unnecessary servile work? But you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday, a day which we never sanctify. End of quote. The Catholic Universe Bulletin published this statement in 1942. Quote, the Church changed the observance of the Sabbath to Sunday by right of the divine, infallible authority given to her by her founder, Jesus Christ. The Protestant, claiming the Bible to be the only guide of his faith, has no warrant for observing Sunday. End of quote. If you go to church on Sunday, you are tacitly recognizing the authority of the Roman Catholic Church to change and add to biblical revelation. So was Jesus really building the church on Peter and his successors in Matthew 16? Well, let's look a little closer at the verse. Understanding this passage in its original language, which was Greek, provides the key to understanding what Christ meant. Jesus was actually using a wordplay that isn't clear when you read it in English. First, Jesus used the word Petros when referring to Peter. I also say to you that you are Peter or Petros. He then used a similar sounding word to describe what he was building his church on, Petra. Similar, but different. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. So Christ's statement actually reads like this. I also say to you that you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Now, Peter's given name was Simon Bar-Jonah, which, which means Simon, son of Jonah. So Simon's father was Jonah. But Christ had given him the nickname Cephas, which is an Aramaic word meaning a stone. Petros, in Matthew 16, verse 18, is the Greek form of the nickname. The meaning of both Cephas and Petros is the same, a fragment or a stone. 
The closest English words to Petros would be a pebble, a stone, or a small rock, a pebble or a rock that you can hold in the palm of your hand. The second word Christ used was Petra. This is what he said he would build his church on. Again, it's not the same word as Petros, the name he gave to Peter. The word Petra also means a rock or a stone, but it represents a much bigger stone. It actually represents a massive rock. We could translate it a boulder, an unmovable mass, a rock you can't hold in your hand, a rock you could perhaps sit on or stand on. This is a very different kind of rock. And he distinguished this rock, the rock, Petra, he was building the church on from the stone, Petros, that he nicknamed Peter. The rock he was building his church on was a rock big enough to serve as the chief cornerstone and a foundation. It was large, strong, and movable. This describes none other than Jesus Christ himself. The rest of the Bible clearly identifies Jesus as this rock. Jesus is called, seven times in the New Testament, the chief cornerstone. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the Apostle Paul refers to Christ as that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus was not only the chief cornerstone, he is still the active head of the body, the church, Colossians 1 verse 18. He did establish offices in his church, but the Bible instructs that those who hold offices of leadership are to remain faithful to his teachings, the teachings of the rock. Even Peter himself, far from claiming the authority some believe he was given, plainly taught that we should follow Christ's steps in 1 Peter 2 verse 21. So the most significant point we can learn from Matthew 16 verse 18 is not about Peter. It is that Jesus Christ did build a church. The Greek word for church is ecclesia or ecclesia which describes people called out of this world, a, a select group noted by specific identifying traits. According to the Bible, the church that Jesus leads would be a church that teaches and strives to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, verse 4. In other words, a, a church that bases its teachings solely on the Bible, not the traditions of men. A church that keeps the same biblical Sabbath and holy days that Jesus and the apostles did. A church that calls itself by the biblical name, Church of God. It would be a little flock, Luke 12 verse 32, that would be often persecuted. And it would be a church that strives to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. Where can you find these identifying markers in churches today? To learn more about the true church built on the rock, Jesus Christ, read our article, The Church, What Is It?, on lifehopeandtruth.com. For the Discern Podcast, I'm Eric Jones. Thanks for listening. For more information from today's featured article, visit lifehopeandtruth.com.